Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. This month we're talking about prayer. And I thought I'd read you a little bit from Tony Campolo's book, Let Me Tell You a Story. Story about prayer. Several years ago, I was invited to speak at a small Pentecostal college located near Eastern College where I teach. I love going to this little school because the people there seem to be so in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit. Before the chapel service, several of the faculty members took me into a side room to pray with me. I got down on my knees and the six of them put their hands on my head and prayed for me, asking the Holy Spirit to fill me up and use me as effectively as I spoke to the students. Now, Pentecostals seem to pray longer and with more dynamism than we Baptists do. These men prayed long, and the longer they prayed, the more they leaned on my head. And they prayed on and on and leaned harder and harder. One of them kept whispering, do you feel the Spirit? Do you feel the Spirit? To tell the truth, I felt something right on the base of my neck, but I'm not sure it was the Spirit. One of the faculty members prayed at length about a particular man named Charlie Stoltzfus. That kind of ticked me off, and I kind of thought to myself, well, if you're going to lean on my head, the least you could do is pray for me. But he prayed on and on for this guy who was about to abandon his wife and three children. I can still hear him calling out, Lord, Lord, don't let that man leave his wife and children. Send an angel to bring that man back to his family. Don't let that family be destroyed. You know who I'm talking about, Lord. You know who I'm talking about. Charlie, Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives down the road about a mile on the right-hand side in the silver house trailer. And I thought to myself with some degree of exasperation, God knows where he lives. What do you think God's doing sitting up there in heaven saying, give me that address again? <laughs> Following the chapel talk, I got in my car and headed home. I was getting on the Pennsylvania Turnpike when I saw a young man hitchhiking on the side of the road. I picked him up. Now, I know you're not supposed to do that, but I'm a Baptist preacher, and whenever I can get someone locked into where I can preach to him, I do it. <laughs> so as we pulled back on the highway, I reintroduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Tony Campolo. What's your name? He said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfus. I didn't say a word. I drove on down the turnpike, got off at the next exit, turned around and headed back. When I did that, he looked at me and said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said to him, I'm taking you home. He said, why? I said, because you just left your wife and three children, right? He said, right, right. And then he leaned against the passenger door the rest of the way, staring at me. I drove off the turnpike and onto a side road straight up to the Silver House trailer. When I pulled up the drive, he looked at me with astonishment and said, how did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. <laughs> well, I believe God did tell me. I think God may do things like that just for fun. I mean, if you're God and you're probably sitting up there having a pretty sad time watching all the things that are going on down on this world, I can imagine God judging Peter and saying, Hey, Pete, watch this. So I, so I told Charlie, you get in that house trailer because I want to talk to you and I want to talk to your wife. He ran into that mobile home ahead of me. And I don't know what he said to his wife, but by the time I got to the house trailer, his, her eyes were as big as saucers. I sat them down and I said, now I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. Man, did they listen. And during the next hour, I led both of them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, that guy is a Pentecostal preacher down in the south. Now, you listen to that story and you say, does stuff like that really happen? 
I mean, does stuff like that really happen today? I mean, maybe back in Jesus' day, you know, because Jesus did all that kind of stuff. But, but does that kind of stuff really happen today? Because if you're like me, and I assume you are, very rarely do you experience, if ever, experience anything like that, an answer to prayer like that. And isn't that, in fact, how we evaluate prayer? I mean, really, if we're honest with ourselves, isn't that how we evaluate prayer, on the answers that we get? It's likely you're in this room and you've prayed for things that you've never received. And in all honesty, prayer to you is more like a game of of spiritual go fish, you know? God, you got any healings? You know, go fish. (laughs) And maybe because of that, you've given up on prayer. Or you just quit altogether because you're not sure it really works anyway. Or maybe you do it because it's kind of a superstitious thing, and I know I should, so I will, but I never really understood how it works. Maybe you just feel guilty because you know you should, but you don't. What if, what if that's not the point? What if it is not the point of prayer to get stuff from God? What if, what if there's a far deeper, a far more important purpose to prayer than just giving God my grocery list and getting my stuff from him? I believe it is. Now, I also believe that God does give. I believe he is a generous and good giving God. I believe that. And I believe also from Scripture, He invites us to ask. He gives us that freedom and that privilege. In fact, He encourages us to ask. But I don't think it's just about asking for stuff. Because I think what God really wants to give us is Himself. I think what He really wants through through prayer is to give us Himself, not just stuff. Because I think it's really more about a relationship than a business transaction or a bartering system. It's more like a marriage or a family of a father to son, father to daughter. Dallas Willard says, prayer is talking to God about what he and I are doing together. And I like that. Because I think that's more at the heart this whole series we've called, Can You Hear Me Now? And, and we kind of likened it to the, you know, the whole cell phone thing because it's all about communication, which, by the way, if you do have your cell phones and you didn't do this already, now's the time to turn them off, okay? Because you don't want to be a sermon illustration, all right? So, but today what I want to talk about is this whole idea of reception, okay? You know, on your little cell phone, the little how many bars are, do you get, you know, kind of a thing. And and it's all about raising our level of awareness of God's presence in our daily lives. Because I think that's really at the heart of prayer. And the model that we have for this is Jesus. You read about the life and ministry of Jesus, and you see him moving so steadily in step with the Father. And and, and moving so so clearly at the leading of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's just this, this ongoing communication that seems to be happening all the time. And we're told very, very often that Jesus would get away by himself for times of prayer. That after times of great ministry, he would then withdraw from the crowds to spend time just with the Father. And in fact, we're told, actually, he did this so often that his disciples noticed this, that this is something he did on a regular basis. And so on one occasion, in Luke chapter 11, 
one day while he's praying in a certain place, when he's finished, one of his disciples comes to him and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And then what he gave them was a model for prayer. And it's what we're going to look at together this morning. But not as a rote formula, okay? Not just something to be memorized and then rattled off. And because and some of us learned it, forgive us our trespasses, and others did it, forgive us our debts. And so we get to that part and there's all kinds of confusion. That's not what this is about. What he is giving us is a model for raising our level of awareness of his presence in every aspect of our lives. And we call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it's disciples' prayer. It's for us. So as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, how does he want us to pray? When, and this is the only place, by the way, we have in Scripture where somebody was asked, teach us to pray. So we ought to pay attention to this one. And it's very, very clear that when it comes to all of this, there's a starting place and there's an ending place, and we got it in the wrong order. Last week, Pastor Scott encouraged you and kind of challenged you a little bit to take 15 minutes every day to spend some time with God. And I won't ask for a show of hands this morning because I'm just going to assume you all did that. But maybe some of you got to the point after about the first five minutes and said, well, now what do I do? Because I went through my grocery list. Now what do I do? Jesus says, when you pray, he says, you start not with you. You start with God. The first thing where you begin in prayer is you acknowledge God's intimate greatness for you. That's the starting point in prayer. They said, teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the starting point. You start with God, not yourself. And so much of our prayer starts with God, as in dear God, and then it goes on to our whole list of stuff. And maybe we throw in a few thank yous for past stuff that you gave us, but, but, but most of our prayer is centered on the grocery list. And he says, no, take time to recognize who it is you're talking with. May your name be kept holy. May your name be honored. That word hollow, it has so much depth and, and, and so much to it. And it's all about recognizing who it is that we're talking to. Not because God needs our flattery. Not because you need to butter him up before you're going to get anything from him. You know, it's not like Eddie Haskell, you know, that's a lovely dress you're wearing today, Mrs. Quaver. You know, that's, that's, that's not what he's doing. This is for our benefit. He says, stop, pause, rest right here for a moment and recognize who it is that you are speaking with. That benefits me. It gives me proper perspective on my situation and my circumstances. It reminds me of God's character and his qualities and his ability. And and it strengthens my confidence in him. By taking time to spend it in his presence and recognize who it is I am talking with, it brings everything else into perspective. Now, sadly, sadly, I would say when it comes to our adoration and our praise and our worship vocabulary, we are sorely lacking. We are sorely deficient. You know, we might come up with, God, you are great. You're awesome. And we run out of words. So here's some things that you can do to just strengthen and expand your adoration vocabulary. 
your recognition, your acknowledging of God vocabulary. One of the things you can do, I mean, we, it's, it's how we start every Sunday morning. We start with praise. We sing songs of adoration and praise. We express our hearts to God. We open ourselves up to realize whose presence we are standing. We do that for a reason. It's not a warm-up act. It's the heart of what we're doing here. It's about coming before God and recognizing who he is. So one of the things you might do is you might pick up, you know, a couple of worship CDs. We've got one that's been produced just from the songs from here. But there's all kinds of different worship CDs and and download iTunes, whatever it is. But, But just get a playlist together of songs of worship and adoration. It will expand your vocabulary. The Psalms. Right smack dab in the middle of your Bible are all kinds of good expressions of praise and adoration. And you might just, at the beginning of any of your prayer times, start there. Let me give you one. In fact, it's, I kind of gave you a shortened version right here in your outline, but let me read to you the whole song. I just want you to listen to this. Listen to the depth of language that David uses. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds those who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. The wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Now, does that change your perspective at all on your circumstances? And that's just one psalm. There are literally hundreds. (laughs) Expand your vocabulary of praise because it gives you a better perspective. It will change the way that you pray. Most of us, our, our, our prayer and our praise language is kind of like my high school Spanish. You know? We went on vacation. We were in Barcelona. I could say, ¿Dónde está el cuatro de baño? You know, that's, for those of you who know Spanish, you know that's what I needed. But anyway, I digress. The whole idea is expanding your language. Take time. Pause and absorb the greatness of the God who loves you, who graciously gives to you. One of the things that has been helpful to me is journaling. 
And, and I will be, I'll be honest with you, I, have, I do this in fits and starts sometimes. I go great lengths of time without doing it. And then I pick up again and I, and I go, and it helps me to write it out. It makes me slow down. So if that's helpful to you, great. If it's not, like some of you, that doesn't appeal to you at all. But however you can, expand your language of praise. Take time alone with God. Just meditate on who he is. And not just about his greatness, but also about his personal relationship with you. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus teaches them to pray. But he does something that's very, very different than most Hebrew prayers of the time. In fact, there's a very, very famous Hebrew prayer. It's still in use today. It's called the Kaddish. Let me read to you just the first opening lines of the Kaddish. Magnified and sanctified be his name and the world he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom. May his kingdom come during your life and during your days and during the life of all the house of Israel speedily and in the near future. Does that sound vaguely familiar? But did you notice the difference? That prayer is about God. And Jesus takes a very, very familiar prayer and he changes it from third person to second person. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Personalizes it. What he's saying is, recognize the greatness of God, but recognize it in its personal, intimate nature to you. It's a father. And, and for some of you, maybe that's difficult. Maybe the idea of, of father and loving don't really go together. And, and Jesus understood that. In fact, Jesus said, you guys aren't the greatest fathers in the world. None of you are. In fact, he said this, you, you're sinful, and you know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, if you are sinful and you don't know how to do this fatherhood thing, but you do all right at it, how much more does your heavenly father? So recognize, first of all, who it is that you're talking with. And then you're ready for the next part of this this prayer. And that's to submit, to surrender, to submit your agenda now to God's authority. And this gets a little difficult, okay? But the next part of the prayer, he goes on, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this gets hard. Because what he is saying is, before you go any further with your grocery list, stop right here and now and say, okay, God, whatever I'm going to ask you for, you got the power of veto. Before I even get to my list, before I even start talking about my needs and my concern and my fears and my anxieties, before I even go there, I just want you to know up front, whatever you decide and however you handle this and whatever you take me through, you're in control. Now, how long does it take you to get through that prayer? Depends on where you're at. (laughs) If life's going good and everything's falling into place and it's smooth, man, that's a real easy prayer. When you're struggling with something, that prayer might take you all day. In fact, that might be a prayer that you take up daily for a long period of time, depending on what the issue is. But really, this is the heart of prayer because it's here where we address the level of our own trust and faith in him. It's where our faith and his faithfulness meet. And that's what prayer's all about. 
If I start each and every day remembering the God who loves me, who cares for me, who provides for me, who is strong and able beyond anything that I might be facing, and then I come to him in absolute trust and say, okay, God, knowing that you're in control, knowing that you know that's best, knowing that you are wise, knowing that you are good, knowing all of those things, I'm just going to trust you with this. I think that's what he wants us to get to. When we do that, our prayers become a lot more than a laundry list. Psalmist put it this way, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And, and by the way, I believe this is the key to Jesus' relationship with the Father. This is the key to his whole life and ministry laid out and modeled out for us. He said this in John five nineteen: my father is always working and so am I. The son can do nothing by himself. Whatever the father does, the son also does. What he is saying there is that I do not step out on my own one inch. His whole life was a not my will, but yours be done. And that's why you see him walking so so steadily and so purposefully through his life and through his ministry. And that's why you see him in very, very simple prayers, just reaching out and touching and healing somebody. Sometimes without even prayer. He raises Lazarus from the dead and the prayer is like maybe five seconds long. (laughs) Of course, there's another time when his prayer is much longer. It's one of those where he's wrestling with this. It's the last night of his life. And his prayer is, Lord, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any possible other direction we can go with this, if there's any other way, but... But not my will, yours be done. And we're told he prayed that prayer through the late watches of the night and early watches of the morning. And he went back and prayed that prayer over and over and over again, we're told. Because he is wrestling with something that he wants to stay in step and he wants to be right in tune with the Father. And that's his heart of hearts and that is desire. But it's a hard thing to do. And you might be facing something like that this morning. You might be wrestling with an issue in your life or facing a big hurdle. And, you're, and it's really, really tough for you to say right now, Lord, your will be done. Because you've got an idea of how this thing ought to work out and how it ought to end up. And the real struggle for you is, does God really care? And is he really good? And is he really going to do what's best for me? And the wrestle of your prayer is that very wrestling that Jesus did. And it might have something to do with your family right now. It might have something to do about your future, your job. It could be, be, maybe you're struggling with this whole idea of your finances and you're thinking to yourself, I know they teach us about tithing and I know I'm supposed to be giving and I know God wants me to live a generous life, but God, that's hard for me to do because I can't give that up. You know, and maybe it's going to be a long struggle for you to be able to get to the point in that one to say, not my will, but yours be done. But that's where he wants us to get because that's what prayer is about. It is not talking God into doing the things I want him to do. It's about me getting myself in line with what he wants to do and raising the bars of reception, if you will, and understanding the presence of God in everyday life starts with acknowledging who he is and then giving up control to him. Whatever my agenda might be, I'm submitting it to his authority. Paul wrote about it this way. We take hold of every thought and make it obey Christ. 
just kind of informal kind of show of hands here. How many have ever gone to and, and, and intended to spend significant time in prayer with God, but find like your brain starts to wander? Is there any? Okay, I'm not alone. And you wonder sometimes, okay, you know, does that offend God? <laughs> maybe, maybe some of that wandering is because God's directing you. Maybe he's directing you to something that you need to start praying about. And maybe the wandering is part of God's leading in your prayer time. Maybe not, but maybe it is. Henry Nouwen wrote this. One of the difficulties I find when I pray is, when I go off to pray, the thoughts jump around in my mind like monkeys on a banana tree. (laughs) He's a great man of God. Acknowledge who God is, who it is you're talking with in prayer. And then get to the place, and it might take you days of this, but get to the place where you can surrender and say, okay, Lord, not my will, yours be done. And those are two really, really critical things. Because if you don't work through those parts of it, you're not ready for the asking part. Now, he understands us and he works with us and he knows, you know, we're like little kids and we don't get it all right all the time. But, but we ought to be learning and we ought to be growing in all of this. Because he does invite us to ask. But it's not until we've gone through recognizing who we're with how much he loves us, how much we can trust him, that we're ready to ask. And when we ask, we ask as a declaration of our dependence. Our dependence on him. And that's really where he wants us to get. I said it before, it's not about getting God to see things my way. It's getting myself to see things his way. And that'll change the way that you ask. So usually we begin with give. <laughs> He says, no, put it off a little bit. Wait till you get here. Now, now you're ready. Now pray, give us each day our daily bread. See, he invites us to ask. There's nothing wrong with asking. I, I, I don't want to be misunderstood in this. He invites us. He encourages us to ask. In fact, it's part of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And that has incredible significance to the people he's talking to. Because their ancestors, thousands of years before that, had spent 40 years in the wilderness, and every day God provided daily bread. Called manna. And every day, without fail, it showed up. And he told them, now, you just take your day's worth. And some people thought, well, I'm going to store it up because I don't know if God's going to be faithful tomorrow. And the next day they got up and it was spoiled. (laughs) It was daily bread that God is going to provide for you what you need each and every day. And in fact, and in fact, and our small group has been going through a study through the Old Testament. And, and here's one of the things. When, uh, before they're about to go into the land that God had promised them, after these 40 years of wandering and God providing daily manna every day, providing for them exactly what they needed, just enough, exactly, no more, no less, just exactly what they needed. He said, now, you're about to go into this land that I have provided for you, and you will have more than daily bread. He says, you will have so much extra you will have people coming to you to get bread. (laughs) He says, you are going to live in abundance, and I am going to provide for you far beyond just the daily bare necessities. But, he said, but, he said, remember this. Deuteronomy 8, 18. Remember that the Lord your God gives you the strength to make a living. He says, never forget 
whether it's in abundance or whether it's in need, your heavenly Father is the one who provides. He's your provider. And for the last 40 years, it's just been daily existence, and you're moving into a new time and a new season in the history of this nation where there's going to be abundance, but never forget, never forget, even when you're in abundance, it's because your heavenly Father's providing. That's what he tells us to go ahead and ask for. Very often, it's our immediate felt needs that move us to the deeper need. In fact, John White writes about this in one of his books called Daring to Draw Near. He believes, and he writes about this, and I I really buy into this. He believes every prayer of ours is initiated by God. We think we're taking the initiative, but it's really being initiated by God. God will use circumstances. God will use needs. God will use situations. God will use difficulties. God will use all kinds of other ways to get us to talk to him. And we think we're coming because we got a need and it's a good idea for us to go and ask God. But God put the need there so you would come to him. Because what he wants to do is give you himself. And that's where he's bringing you. And so the needs that you go through and that daily bread kind of prayer is just a reminder. God is your provider. Ask him to provide. You're dependent, completely dependent on his provision. You are also dependent on his forgiveness. He said, also pray this, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Oh yeah, God, not only do I need daily bread, I need your forgiveness. Oh, and I really need help with the forgiving other part too. It's learning to connect my prayer with the daily stuff of my life. And if I begin each day acknowledging his goodness and his provision and his ability, and and I spend that time yielding up and and surrendering my own agenda up to his and saying, no, you got it better, you got it under control, I'm going to do it your way, and I do that. And then I begin to ask. What I am doing is I'm inviting him into the stuff of life, and that changes everything. That raises the bars, if you will my level of awareness of God's presence in my life. Because if I begin each day like that, and I begin to practice that, that becomes a part of my daily living. And then every aspect of my life becomes a reminder to me, oh yeah, God is here with me, and God is teaching me, and God is leading me. And so when somebody cuts me off on the freeway, I will not be quite so inclined to gesture what I think of them because of it. Because God is with me. (laughs) And it's all about learning to live in His presence. So forgive us. We forgive those who sin against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I'm dependent on you for my provision. I'm dependent on you for forgiveness. I'm dependent on you for protection. The world is a dangerous place. There's all kinds of stuff that can come my way. And there's all kinds of things that can trip me up. And I have these propensities in these areas, but Lord, would you protect me? Lord, would you keep me from going down those paths? Would you remind me of your presence so that I can learn to rely on you? See, we're all beginners at this. And I don't care how long you have been a Christian and how long you have been a prayer warrior, if you are one. You're just a beginner. We are all just beginners. Because this is about a relationship that is ever-growing, ever-evolving, and there's always more to learn about it. Here's the great promise. Jesus ends the teaching with this. Everyone who asks, receives. 
He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. Scott gave you the 15-minute challenge last week. And I would encourage you to sign up for the 15 by 15 prayer vigil, prayer concert. Because we need to learn a little bit more about this ongoing conversation with God that is called prayer. We need to learn more about His presence, the awareness of His presence in our lives. And it simply starts with acknowledging who He is, giving up my own rights for His sake, and then being able to ask with a sense of humility and dependence, saying, Lord, I need you for this. I don't do this on my own. I need you. You bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.